The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at halliburtonlabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, everyone. Today, we are talking with Ted Gutierrez. Ted is the co-founder and CEO of securitygate.io, where he and his team help industrial companies discover cyber risks sooner to make improvements faster through their risk management platform. He's a Houston native and U.S. Army veteran and joined the oil and gas industry in 2010 in risk management capacity, doing quality and cyber audits globally for companies like Shell and ExxonMobil. He then went on to build two separate supply chain businesses in the chemical and auto industries, which led him to think, I've got to learn how to build tech companies after seeing their success during the post-2008 recession. He then saw that opportunity in the 2016 elections, believing that there was an imbalance in the supply and demand of cyber assessments in the future. After founding SecurityGate.io four years ago, he and his team are now working with some of the largest industrial companies on earth. He's a firm believer that the number one ingredient in a company is the people. He's also an avid competitor and he races cars as a hobby. So without further ado, let's welcome Ted to the show. Ted, welcome to the podcast, man. How you Jose, doing? Jose, how you been, man? Dude, Long time no see. It's been like, what, a year and a half? At least. I think one of the last times we ran into each other was an event. It was an event. It was a veteran event. Yeah, that's I'm right. It was mistaken. a veteran business event. That's right. That's right, man. So yeah. that sort of kicks things off because you started off your career in the military after school, right? Right. And so you went to West Point, graduated West Point. Right. And then you jumped into the army, commissioned you know, jumped out of airplanes for a living, jumped out of airplanes, then became a quality inspector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's where we met. Right. So that that's was right. probably around the 2010 timeframe. That's right. That's yeah. right. So yeah, you and I, we met back then and I remember you had the long hair. <laughs> I was doing everything out of the army, right? Yeah, like exactly. Came out and did everything I didn't, I couldn't do back then. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, you've been an entrepreneur for how long now? So I've really been an entrepreneur ever since I went into my first company, which was really in the 2012 timeframe. Right. So I guess that's about seven or eight years now. Okay. And it took me a while. Like, I guess I was in my low thirties at the time, but I later found out when I really looked at history, I'm a actually come, I'm the fifth generation entrepreneur. Both my parents were entrepreneurs, my grandparents, things like that. So it's been a great run. I think the army was a really fun place and follow a bunch of rules, but right. I kind of needed to go break them a little bit, <laughs> but I didn't realize that till I was in my early thirties. I bet you so. broke a lot of them while you were in the army though. You know, I never really got in trouble that much. I never walked any hours at school. <laughs> uh, that's what they say. It's a great place to be from. You know, the way that I structure early stage growth, there's a lot of structure in it, right? It seems like chaotic, but a lot of what I learned and then what we put into practice together when we were working in the in the auditing and inspection space together, right. you know, it's the fundamentals, the building blocks, right? So yeah. learning, you know, standards, it was the right place to yeah. be at the time. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, you started a cybersecurity company I with did. your co-founder right. about how long ago? So our four year birthday as a company was in February. So we're just over four years old now. 
and since then, I mean, you've had to take it from a startup to right. a scale. I mean, just coming to your office now, right? right. And remembering, you what know, back like in, in 2017. 2017. Yeah, it was one little office, and then we got the office next door, and then the yeah. office next door. Now we have the whole building, and it's we're blessed, right? right? We're blessed with great customers. Our ideas were able to flourish with great customers really picking it up. But yeah, I mean, the story about Security Gate, we're an industrial cyber security risk management company, right? And so we're a cloud-based software that automates and digitizes all of the manual tasks that industrial IT and operational leaders have to kind of wrestle with. When most of the people that use our software have traditionally used Excel files and and 40 or 400 page assessment workflows and they it's all manual and it's boring and it and it never really helps them answer the the question that matters most which is we all know cyber is important. We all know that it's a great investment. What do I need to do next, right? And right. so SecurityGate is is a SaaS platform that helps them make those decisions better by automating a lot of those workflows. And so we started in February 2017 coming out of the, really, the election season. Yeah. If you remember in 2016, it was the first time that at a really national level, you had these real impacts of a cyber attack that everybody could see. We yeah. knew that there were cyber attacks happening and they were very important. Well, they were coming out of that, some of the changes that companies and governments made were important. But when the DNC got hacked in 2016, I sort of looked and I said, well, there's gonna be this imbalance in how many people wanna do assessments and the qualified people to do them. Yeah. So why don't we help both parties by digitizing it? And yeah. that was about four years ago. And we've gone through, you know, what's really interesting about our path is that we were bootstrapped at first. We stayed a bootstrap company for the first 18 months. Yeah. We did not code a single line of code until we had a bona fide enterprise contract that said, yes, we're going to buy your solution. So you went out and sold the product yes. before you had the product. Right. So my co-founder had a service company before this, and right. it was at that service company that she was doing an exercise called an incident response exercise. And it was for a major offshore driller. And one of the pre-questionnaire planning questions was out of all of your offshore rigs, which of them are you most concerned about? And we should choose that one to do an incident response exercise. And the answer was, we don't really know. And that wasn't a bad thing. They had yeah. intense amount of cybersecurity investment they've made. They've just never really been able to go and do an assessment at all these facilities. And, and so she knew that I was kind of working on this idea. And she said, well, what if there was a software that automated all of the assessments and I think their answer was, we'd buy it, right? And so she picked up the phone. She said, hey, I think I got an opportunity for you. <laughs> and so I walked in and said, yep, here it is. It was We had a workflow and, and it was yeah. all in like HTML. And I said, guys, this is we're building this. And so we took it to market and we started the company in, in the latter part of 2017 or the early part of 2017. Our product hit the market in early 2018. And so if you really look at the product in the space, it's been out for about three years. Yeah. And transitioned from bootstrap to bank financing to angel, to super angel, to seed, and now we're a venture-backed company. And really like kind of learning how to be that next evolution of the company. And yeah. so I've been super blessed to have an incredible team, super blessed to have awesome customers. And you know, between you and me, COVID actually, I know it didn't help anybody, but the market is even more so today looking for a way to digitally reach out, reach to their facilities on the other side of the world, reach yeah. to employees that are yeah. out. And so this adoption of SaaS platforms, it's on the rise, right? And so we're really excited about being able to help those companies that are ready for that transition do it in a really succinct way. I don't remember where I came across it, but I think something along the lines of, you know, COVID had sort of 
driven technology adoption mm-hmm. faster in energy like it driven it for about seven eight years yeah you know well and i think i think energy is in the habit of every time there's somewhat of a downturn yeah you know we have a tendency to kind of reinvent ourselves yeah i mean i don't remember all the data but if i remember the last downturn how many people it took to get oil out of the ground was maybe $75. Right. And now it's at 55 and it just keeps dropping. Well, right. I think that delta is technology and innovation. Absolutely. I will tell you that a lot of the companies that you would not think were early adopters, the companies that you would not think want to partner with startups, man, I tell you what, being in Houston, we are blessed with the amount of people that want to bridge that gap from, hey, small, young, really, really innovative company. You can build stuff that we want. And so, you know, I think it's a testament to those companies willing to transform, but it's also a testament to this ecosystem down here in Houston is that there really is a nice bridge forming. So we'll see where it goes in the next couple of years. Let me ask you this. What has changed you being a business owner? What, how has it changed you? How's it changed me? If anything. Yeah. I approach, I think I approach problems a little differently now. Yeah. When I was, you know, say 10 years ago, when I was trying to do, I was really doing third-party risk management and I, I was armed with an Excel file and I traveled around the world, traveled 60, 70% of the year. You know, I would have said in my performance review, I did really well. I helped these companies understand where their risks are. Well, as an individual, what I learned in business is I could be pretty good or great at a couple things, but to scale that up, if you really want to build a sustainable business where as a CEO or as a co-founder or as a president that you can kind of walk away from it and the thing still runs on its own, yeah. it takes a different kind of skill set. And so my biggest transition probably in my first company and then in my second and now this one's my third, I have gained a level of respect, adoration, and just joy around finding the right people, yeah. right? Yeah. I spend 90% of my time just arming and equipping my team with what they need to succeed. So I like to hire up. I like to hire the smartest most capable people I can. And it wasn't always like that. It doesn't mean that I was hiring not capable people. It just means that in an interview or in a planning session, or as I'm thinking about strategy, the who of my team was not as important 10 years ago to me as it is today. Now it's all I do. Yeah. And so that's one thing that I think has kind of changed me is I've, I have accepted that how effectively the team operates is positively correlated with the growth and the success of the company. And a lot of people use this term leadership as a catch-all, especially a lot of guys in the military. And I don't I don't debunk that, right? But I know a lot of great leaders that don't have great teams. And I know a lot of great teams and you'd look at the person leading them and you'd be like, is he, is he or she really a leader? You know. So I think there's a lot of differences in opinion of what it takes to be a great leader. To me, I just focus on the team. The other thing that has really changed for me is I've finally like recognized and accepted that I can't do everything and I'm not great at everything. No. Like I think you, when you are an early stage <laughs> business owner, you're like, I can do that. We're going to do this. Cause you have in your well, mind. You're sort of forced to, right? You are forced to, right? And I'll be truthful, especially in a bootstrap capacity. It's a double-edged sword because as a bootstrap, you have to make it happen. And you're always stressed about what you're not getting done. Yeah, absolutely. And when you raise too much capital, you end up spending it on all the wrong places because <laughs> you don't have to do it all yourself. Yeah. So you really have to be careful about where you take your capital and what you try to do with it. But I just sort of tried to, it took some growth, but I had to say, I'm really not great at this and I'm really not great at this. And if, and I need to focus on these things over here. And so, you know, having eight or nine 
skills, slash that to two or three and just focus on those and then find other people to balance you out. And so I've learned to, when you, you're building a team to counterbalance skill sets, to counterbalance the way people look at challenges and data, you know, I think it's really important to have a really rounded capability in that fashion. One of the things that I recently learned about you was that you like to race cars. I'm going <laughs> to change gears for a second. Yeah. No pun intended. No pun intended, right? How competitive are you? So it's a funny thing. I think I'm not very competitive with people around me. Like I'm not like, you know, if we were walking outside, I wouldn't race you to the gate. I mean, I just, I'm just not like that. <laughs> but when I ask myself if I'm competitive with myself and I hold myself to a high standard, I think the answer is really yes. So traditionally team sports are really fun to me, right. but I don't go out on the battlefield or the, or the playing field and try to just knock out the competitor. I like to have fun. But you put me in an environment where I'm in 100% control of what I'm doing, and I tend to really enjoy an inches game, if you will. So I like, you know, I jumped out of airplanes, I rode motorcycles, I used to really competitively shoot, you know, pistols and guns and things like that. And I don't, just don't understand why that didn't, it didn't take hold really in my 30s. Nothing was really bringing me any passion. And I've always been a car guy. Yeah. And I'd be totally truthful, man. The only sport that was on TV during COVID was NASCAR. <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, am I really going to watch NASCAR? And I will tell you right now, I am a 100% diehard NASCAR fan. COVID got me into racing. And so I bought a car in the Q4 and I'm at the racetrack every week. And even if I'm the only person out there, there's something really magical about pushing a piece of machinery to that 90% capacity yeah, and owning that risk, owning that edge. And I love it. So I think a lot of times people don't have an outlet to let go of all the stress. And to me, that's just what I do. I don't really like to bike or run, but that's what keeps me motivated, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I noticed that you have a polo. Uh, what is <laughs> yeah. this called? A mallet? Yeah, it is. So are you are you playing polo now too? Is that what? No. So this is a true story. So my wife, when I had my first company, I was going through that first like year and a half, like OMG, what am I doing? You know, you were angry about everything. I was like a fire breathing dragon, right? <laughs> and and we were had sales coming in and we were making money, but I, you know, I was the chief operating officer of a company that was, you know, doing four or five million and, and my task was taken to ten. And it was a huge undertaking because there was a lot of competitive people in the space. Yeah. It's a different story. So one of the ways that she said, Hey, you know, I grew up riding horses and she said, Hey, I want to do I want to help you relieve some stress through horses. And I was like, cool, what did you have in mind? You know, I'm kind of <laughs> negative about it. Equine therapy. And she's, yeah, equine <laughs> therapy. And I'm like, really? Is that, that's your best, like, that's what you came up with? And so she put me in a polo clinic. So here am I, you know, I've got long hair, tattoos. I'm just like kind of showing up and I'm like, this is for not the good old boy club. This is not like, this is for princes and this is for royal families. Blue blood. This yeah. is not me. Yeah. <laughs> Until I got on the horse and realized a gear switched. <laughs> this is the most dangerous sport I have ever played in my life. You are on this incredible animal going as fast as he or she wants to run, trying to hit this little white ball. It is like golf during an earthquake. <laughs> so I start really recognizing that when I'm on that horse every week for an hour. Yeah. I see nothing. I think nothing. I do. It's the same thing I felt with cars, right? When you're going a hundred and something miles an hour and you're breaking down to 30 and you're, you're pushing the car. I mean, you, it's scary, right? So I go to the guy and I say, Hey, I'm six two, two twenty. 220. How much is a horse going to cost me? And he was like, well, it's going to be pretty expensive, but that didn't really get me sold on polo. He goes, 
The problem is, is you're going to need four of them. That's right. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why do I need four? He goes, because you have essentially four quarters. You need four horses. Yeah. And so when I started looking at this six-figure tab to get into Polo, that wasn't about the 2016 timeframe. I decided to leave the other company. I said, <laughs> I'm going to go get into a high growth, scalable tech company <laughs> because there I have to learn and I have to have that as a sport. So I keep that mallet up there just to keep me focused on why I where your this. Where your goals are, yeah, right? Where my goals are. I, I decided yeah. to start a tech company for multiple reasons. With the elections, I saw there was a cyber security supply and demand imbalance. I was coming out of a company that wasn't really willing to reinvest in itself especially on the technology space, which I thought was a was an innovative state that we could have been in to come out of that oil and gas downturn better, faster, stronger, younger. And so I was actively looking for a company that I could go and kind of stretch my legs and build something from scratch. It was a little scary and but that's that's why I keep that up there is to remind me why are we why are we doing all this? Because it can get yeah. really tough, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit as far as when we're looking at it from the point of view of a of a startup moving yep. into the chapter of a scale up, right? Sure, so sure. as a CEO, mm-hmm. when you're making these transitions, the tools that you're using will most likely change the digital tools yeah. that you're using. Like you may use more software, more SaaS products, mm-hmm. more products, just digital products overall, right? Right. What are some of the things from a security point of view? And we don't have to get technical and right. too deep. What are some things that you probably would advise a CEO or CTO? Hey, these are some things on the security standpoint that you might want to think about as you're adding more people to your team, as you're growing your company. Because obviously the biggest risk to any company security-wise is the people, right? I tend to agree. About 70%. Our analysis have shown that about 90% of the budget goes towards technology and hardware and software yet 70% of the threats reside in the activities that people take knowingly or unknowingly right. within the company. So That's we right. think that cyber is people. We really do. And we've got a campaign called the Cyber is People campaign that that really we launched in Q1 and it's still pretty active. You know, my communication to a what I would tell a startup is the same thing I would generally tell any company and that is it's never a bad time to start investing in your cybersecurity. There's never a good time to just start doing it. It should be a PL line item that the CEO looks at pretty regularly. As a young company, how much investment you put into your cybersecurity, whether that's services or whether that's somebody internal, whether you outsource it to an MSSP, you know, that's a decision you have to make on your on your budget. But fundamentally, what you ought to be thinking about and just for everybody, what's an MMM? A managed security service provider. Okay, yeah. So you have you know, basically people that you can, or manage detection response, MDR services. There's a lot of companies that are out there that you can kind of just like outsource your security to. And it really works well for like small and medium-sized businesses. We, you know, took a path at SecurityGate where we always had from the very, very, very beginning, cybersecurity was a huge investment for us because the same people that not only manage our own security, they're engineers that can help our clients understand their, you know, that's what we're in. What I would tell you is that as a CEO of a tech company, your tech stack starts to evolve really rapidly when you start building a more robust software solution or hardware. Hardware, the security that goes into your hardware, the security that goes into your software, your coding, where you're, you know, you have to be thinking about it on a three to five year roadmap. And so I think you also have to budget in the people and you have to budget in the costs that it's going to take you to really do it right. And so as you start to really 
see some success on the software side, you're going to have a lot more people on your platform. And then that's when you start thinking about, well, how do we structure their experience from a security perspective? And gotcha. those are things that I really think you need security minded folks early in the development phases, right? Right. Otherwise, it's going to be really challenging for you to, you're just going to spend a lot of sprint cycles reimagining how it's supposed to go. So security minded folks from the start should be influencing you in some capacity. And I will tell you that the same applies to any big company too. One of the biggest challenges that you see in big companies is when they make big, not so much PL changes, but they make facility changes, personnel changes, maybe transitions to the cloud. In a lot of ways, they are starting new businesses and they have to rethink their cyber. So, you know, I would always tell you everybody wants to have a lawyer or a, we're not short of lawyers. We're not short of finance people, fractional CFOs, CF, CPA. We're not short of that. Find yourself a fractional, if anything, security person that can help you build that out. It's it's worth the investment early. That's interesting. And you hit on a really unique point, which is, you know, start early. You said that there's probably never a bad time. I would sort of disagree. I'd say the bad time to invest is going to be after you've been hacked because that's going to cost you a lot of time and money. You definitely want to do it beforehand, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you have some sort of breach that affects your business, it impacts your business. On so many levels. Yeah. And you then say, okay, we're going to start investing. You're probably going to spend 10X, 20X. So I think even if you have some level of an incident, it doesn't have to be a massive breach, but you have some level of an incident. If you have the people systems and the tools in place to recognize it, then it's, it's a speed bump. It's not hitting a brick wall. Yeah. And so I think the number one piece with cyber is you have to have systems in place to recognize, did we have a breach? Right. Do we have an incident? Do we have a policy to follow? So, Because sometimes these things can take a while to even discover. Sure. You wouldn't even know somebody was in your system. Yeah. I mean, it's a cat and mouse game. Yeah. My, you know, I have a very clear belief about hackers and people are like, what do you think? Who's the big, I had somebody ask me at a big event the other day, like, you know, what nation state actors are the worst? And I'm like, listen, I won't answer that question because I have just this utter respect for hackers, whether white or black hat, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. Yeah. These people are so incredibly gifted, and that's the right word, gifted, that they can do, if it can be breached, it will. If it is a security system, it can be wrapped around. I just have this incredibly offensive mentality, which is if it's out there, it's probably breakable. Yeah. So I actually invest in an offensive manner as much as I can just to try to see that, get that defense up and Let's actively try to see if we can break into our own stuff. And and I look at it in a gamification perspective. It's like, how complex can we make it, right? Yeah. And so, but yes, you're absolutely right. Security is just in- incredibly important for any company. I just think that, you know, especially if you're moving in from, you know, startup phase to scale up phase, and then even beyond that, yeah, that's something, that, really something you should you. always have as part of your processes, procedures, like, okay, how do we secure this? Absolutely. Right? I think your clients are going to be asking you for that. And if they're not asking you for it, then you probably have a business solution that is just not really going to impact their business. If you have any part of information that is pulled that could be valuable to someone else, I would say that the biggest reason alongside your own security is the impact of your security. And that is you may not be able to close that deal with that Absolutely. Company. Yeah. I've and seen so, it. Yeah. you know, that's third party risk management at its core. So I can't think of a lot of businesses that, you know, off the top of my head where security should be a second thought, not yeah. a second thought, you know, uh, let's not worry about that. I mean, and I've seen it, it in, incorporated into MSAs. Yeah. In, in oh, absolutely. That, you know, you need to have this. Security this Gate this. was founded on a 16 page annex 
that was part of a master service agreement for one of the biggest telecommunication companies in the world. They had 16 pages worth of MSA, basically questionnaires that they wanted all their suppliers to meet. Mm -hmm. They said, we want you to run assessments on these suppliers to validate this 16-page annex on their security. And I said, cool, how many you got? And they said, we have 6,000. And so that led me to believe this cannot be done manually. You're going to have to automate this. And so there's a lot of third-party risk solutions in the market. We think it is a component of security, but you're absolutely right. You're limiting yourself on who you can work for if you don't have security at top mind. And you need to be able to display, I say at a moment's notice, or at the click of a platform button. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can just tell you, you need to be able to rapidly communicate yeah. that you've got some stuff in place. And you got to be able to do that quickly. Otherwise, as a CEO or a COO, you're going to spend a ton of time having to respond to that RFP request. And it's going to slow you down, man. So yeah. As a CEO, what do you do to keep... Because obviously, as a CEO, you're going to run into problems on a daily basis. Absolutely. What do you do to keep problems from holding you back? How do you keep... Pro well, I mean, I think you... So how do I keep problems from holding me back? First thing is take a breath. <laughs> it's the first thing that my mother ever taught me about being in business is that you will always have challenges. That's why you're in the, the job you're in, is to be a problem solver at your core. And so any problem looks a little differently after you close your eyes, you take a big breath and you say, okay, what are we really trying to figure out? I think that how do I keep problems from, well, I think the best answer to your question is probably don't take it all personally, right? That's a big yeah. challenge when you bootstrap your company and you see a lot of other companies maybe growing at faster clips. It takes this incredible fortitude, this strength, this real conviction that what you're doing is the right thing. And when you see a problem come up, I think a lot of times I, I try to break problems up into, you know, what I do today versus two years ago. Do I have to solve every problem? Do I have to solve every problem today? What's urgent? What's important? What's not important? You know, hey, Ted, here are this 39 features we want to build in the platform. Well, that's a problem if I don't have the resources to build them all. So what I try to look at is this, what's working for me and has over the last couple of years is this concept of resources. There's really three. There's time, there's money, and there's people. Yeah. People cannot work at three o'clock in the morning for long. They're going to burn out. Money you can't exhaust and time you don't get enough of. So I try to look at problems and look at, is the problem impacting my business? If so, how many resources is it going to take? And my job as a CEO, and I think any CEO's job is to, is to always look at the landscape of quote unquote problems and then really ask ourselves, are these events and we're associating negativity or challenge to them, which makes them a problem? Or are these events that maybe if I looked at it in a different way, they could be opportunities, right? So I think that takes a little bit more of a mature mindset. It's a little bit more of a performance mindset. Hey, not everything is a problem these could be opportunities. And then the second thing is how do we just look at it in a really, in a real clear headed manner to say, okay, we will always have problems, quote unquote. What do I have the resources to change today? And which of those changes project my company to the next evolution of itself? You don't think like that when you're a bootstrapped or an angel or a seed based company. And if you do, you've been in a series A or a series B capacity before where you had a lot of resources, you had to figure out where to place them. So I think young companies out there that try to change the world, I mean, just change one customer's perspective and then take on the next milestone, right? It's yeah, when I first got here and you guys were in a meeting, I just kind of took a glance around the room and I noticed 
that you had some posters on the wall that basically ask questions and get the employees to think about like, what am I doing that's impacting? Are my actions moving in this direction? Or if I need to solve a problem, here's like a metrics. Yeah, we came up with those really during COVID. When we closed, our Series A director was really big on this concept of alignment. And I'll be truthful, middle of 2020, we don't know what's happening with vaccines. We don't know what's <laughs> happening globally. And his guidance to me was, hey, I really want you to focus on the alignment of your team. And I'm like, kind of looking at him sideways. <laughs> so I had to kind of just take that and say, okay, how many, how many resources am I going to play at this? And one of the best investments I've ever made is really figuring out and internalizing this theory of alignment. So to me, alignment is when everybody, if you close your eyes in an, in an army yeah. battalion or something, and everybody left face at the same time without looking at each other, you want in a young, fluid, innovative startup, when you want everybody to th not think the same things, you want diverse backgrounds, perspectives, but you want them all asking the same questions in the same manner. So what we developed is this hypothesis workflow where you see a data point, you make a hypothesis of what that data point means to everything else. Hey, this prospect said this. Oh, I believe that if we said this a different way, it's going to generate a faster revenue. Okay, well, well, what does it take from a resources perspective to fix that? Because you can get salespeople saying, hey, I have a, a hypothesis that if we connected with 17 of these platforms, we'll sell more. Well, they are not aligned with the product team because the product team is just going to kick it back and say, dude, do you know what kind of resource allocation it takes? So this theory of how do we evaluate data points, connect that with our own intuition of what we believe to ask each other the right questions and not have the CEO in the room. That's why we create those workflows. That's why, you know, when I say, hey, man, I care about the team, that's not delivering cookies upstairs and hoping that everybody's having a great day. It's about creating systems, and it really is a communication system across the whole company so that if I'm not in a meeting and I casually walk in, what they were actually challenged with was how many resources do we want to put behind this integration based on what we know today? And so if you remember what I was telling them is I was like, which one of these is desirable by our target personas and what's the lift from an API integration perspective? So all I was doing is re-asking the same questions they were asking themselves. And at the end, I told them, I said, go back to sales and ask them. So I feel like I'm really lucky that we do have a company that is always working on that alignment. I feel that companies sometimes get a little bit scatterbrained when they have <laughs> a bunch of problems and they're trying to just go and what you have the problem of experiencing a potentially negative experience is when you have all these people and they're all really smart but they really don't all work together as well as you want they're not in sync yeah they're not in sync right right like have you ever gone to a chick-fil-a like everybody knows their job and they know exactly how to do it why to do it and they just it's like this ever moving sea of people and everybody it's knows clockwork them. yeah it's like clockwork it's right clockwork. they're aligned i think that you know, that's what our Series A team has been really instilling within us. And I'll be truthful, I feel sorry for companies that are not even trying to be aligned. Well, that's because it's goes a back. very it's it's a chaotic state already. And if the people are not real calm and where they fit within that chaotic state, I don't think much gets accomplished, right? And I think some of that sort of comes back to your your military time, right? Like keep it simple, stupid, right? Just well, you know, and just keep after action keep reviews every, yeah. for lost deals sharing information clearly. 
there's multiple, I think that if you can distill how to answer any question, you know, does this investment help us accomplish our mission? Does this investment help us, you know, reach that end user that we're wanting to? Does this help us, you know, propel the company in the next phase? If people, just like in the military, hey, they teach you what are the, the multiple general orders? Like right, yeah. you can always see an event and you become your own decision maker based on a few very clear criteria. That's right. I think great teams have that. And so we try to harness it here at securitygate.io. So I appreciate you at least seeing that. It means a lot to, I think, the team. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm going to ask you one more question. And I want to know, because you mentioned that you have a lineage of, of entrepreneurship in your yeah. family. Out of all of them, or maybe all of them together, what inspired you to be a business owner? Because you obviously could have just continued down the road sure. you're on. Well, I was doing, I thought I had a pretty successful career, right? Really great work-life balance, really great, you know, time at home and great career on the path. You know, I felt that whether it was my family or whether it was you know, the army instilling with me, you know, I just had a series of great educations. Okay. I had a great one at home, had a great one in school, had a great one when I got into the oil and gas industry. And I, and I just felt that personally, I was just not tapping into my full potential. And that doesn't mean that comparatively that that's a good or a bad thing. I personally felt that I still needed to make a bigger impact. And one of the most frustrating feelings that I recognize and I know, and I know it when I see it in somebody is when they feel that they were meant for more is a little bit of a cosmic state of mind. It's just a mindset that I want more challenge. When I bought into my first company, we had, I want to say, grown 30 or 40% in the first year in revenue. Everything was clicking. And I remember exactly where I was when I said, why don't I just sell my equity back to the investors or my partners now, and I'll go do this again. And nobody knows this, but I decided not to do that because I felt that I had not experienced a challenge enough to personally walk away from the company and say, wow, this was big. And then the next week or the next month or quarter, biggest downturn in oil like in the last <laughs> 20 years, I had service companies and operators giving me land grants to pay their bills. I mean, they were saying, here's a piece of land out in West Texas, do this instead of paying the other money. And so being presented with that kind of challenge, the way to collect, the way to manage your cash flow, the way to go to banks and tell them the story that everything's going to work out, reinventing ourselves in a lot of ways. Those are challenges that I would not have experienced how to get through had I just walked away when everything was great. So somewhere deep inside, I think some people out there, they look for those chaotic experiences. And, and my true north is building teams and communication structures to make sense of a world of chaos. And so that's why I like early stage companies. And so why did I choose to become an entrepreneur? I'd be truthful. I wanted to be a business owner. I then kind of realized that entrepreneurship to me is about creating brand new products, brand new ideas, crashing the old way. Whereas, you know, you can have some really great businesses that just execute better. And I don't personally believe they're really entrepreneurs. I think they're just really great business operators. So I was a business operator first. Then I decided to jump into a true entrepreneurship, take it from idea and scale. And so to me, that's where I really started to find my passion. It actually wasn't even in business ownership. It was in the early stage entrepreneurship. What can we envision to be true? How do we start it from idea and on? And so 
to be continued for the next couple decades, you know? Excellent, man. I really appreciate it, Ted. It's been really great catching up with you. Well, thank you for the opportunity, man. No, we really appreciate it. And I definitely going to have you back on in the future. Yeah, I'd be happy to jump on. We'll let us hit a couple more milestones and we'll have some more stories. man. For sure. Before we go, how can people connect with you? How can they follow SecurityGate? Um, So SecurityGate.io, that's the web address, SecurityGate.io, all spelled out. You know, our website is the number one place, but LinkedIn is where we do 90% of our communicating with the world. So you can hit me up at Ted Gutierrez, G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z. LinkedIn is a really great place to follow us. And if you have questions, concerns, comments, doesn't matter if you're a small business, if you're a consultant, or if you're a mega enterprise, you know, we're here to help you in any capacity that falls within the industrial cyber realm. So appreciate the opportunity, man. No worries. We'll catch you on the next one, Ted. All right, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.